Very good. That was a lot of fellowship. I saw some introverts, introverts in the room sitting down early. That's okay. You can always do that. <laughs> and there were some chatty folks over here. They wanted to keep going all night. Uh, but welcome to BASIC. We are really glad you're here. Thanks for uh, coming on your Thursday night and uh, hanging out with us and worshiping God and uh, exploring a little bit about what the Bible says about what God's doing in the world and how he wants to call us into it. So my name is Carla Chestnut, and uh, I'm really excited to kick off this semester at BASIC. So let's begin with prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are all coming from lots of different places um, at lots of different speeds. Maybe some of us are coming off a really long nap. Some of us are coming out of work. Some of us are coming out of uh, class. So wherever uh, you've brought us from today, would you help us to uh, just expect that you are here and that you want to tell us something and you want um, to bring us to a new place of understanding who you are. Uh, thanks for the opportunity for us to gather together here freely and without fear. Thanks for everybody in the room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I walked into my office earlier this week, and I sat down at my desk, and I opened my email, and there was an email from a ministry colleague and friend from the area in a different ministry, and it said, I'm in the Ukraine. I just got robbed on my way back to my hotel. I don't have any money. My plane leaves in an hour. I can't check out of the hotel. I can't get my baggage. I can't get a hold of anybody. I need some help. So I was, oh my goodness. And I looked at how long ago he sent the email. It was eight hours ago. So I thought, oh no, what's happened? And then I started to think, you know, I know this guy. But I don't know this guy that well. That if he was like robbed in Ukraine, he'd be asking me for help. So I started to think, you know, this is not, this is not real. I think this guy's identity has been stolen. But then I thought, I better find out. I better make sure that he's okay. So I called his ministry, and I said, hello, this is Carla Chestnut from Orchard Hill Church. I'm just wondering if Mike's okay. And they were like, oh, did you get the email? Yeah, we totally got hacked, and Mike's identity got stolen. So I thought that was interesting because I've been preparing for this teaching, and, it's, and we're entering this series about identity. So it's kind of a fun story there. Uh, yeah. Thank you. The, so really, though, the whole team is excited about this series. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at it with the, through the lens of identity. So that's exciting. So read along with us as we go, because we're just going to be able to do little chunks, because it is a really chunky monkey. So identity is really important. And it actually matters a lot that we are rooted in some kind of identity, and there's all kinds of identities, right? There's our family identity and our work identity, and um, people who don't have some kind of solid identity just get lost, and bad things start to happen. Uh, things like this. We start to get just absolutely paralyzed by big decisions. You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? a really big decision to get paralyzed by. We get crippled by worry about the future and relationships and failures. Uh, when we lose our identity, we say things like this. Who really cares? I don't really care anyway. It's not really that important. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to watch Netflix. <laughs> Nothing really matters anyway. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Why won't God show me where I am and who I am and what I'm supposed to do? You guys know what this looks like when you just lose track of your identity. Another thing that happens is we just become the best at one-liners. 
Ever done this? You just kind of lost track of your identity and you just get real joy and purpose out of being able to come up with the quickest one or the quickest, uh, that's what she said joke. <laughs> it's just kind of what happens. <laughs> Thank you, Whitney. Or maybe it's just as simple as uh, you just get really interested in having really cool stuff and what people think about you. But we want to look at this. Henry Nouwen was a great teacher, and he was a great thinker, and he was a great Jesus follower, and he says this about identity. He says, you and I, not you and I, but you and I are beloved, beloved sons and daughters of God. And that's not really a new idea. But this is our core identity. We are dearly loved children of the Most High God. And then Henry Nouwen goes on to say this, and this is a fascinating idea to me. He says, one of the most enormous spiritual tasks we have is to claim this truth, to just claim this truth about who we are, and then to live a life based on this truth. So what does that look like? First, I want to turn to Ephesians really quickly because the foundation for this truth is found here in Ephesians. It's found in, the, in a lot of places in the Bible, but in the first chapter of Ephesians, in four verses, verses three through six. And Ephesians is a book of the Bible. It is in the New Testament, so it's about halfway through the Bible, and then again, really towards the end of the Bible. And Ephesians, it was written by Paul, and Paul was a powerful, well-respected, highly educated Jewish man. And Paul identified himself very strongly as a defender of his faith. So strongly, as a matter of fact, that he actually hunted and killed Christians. Until one day, he was walking down the road, and he had this encounter with Jesus. And everything in his life changed. Just everything in his life changed. So listen to how this encounter with Jesus changed Paul's identity from a violent defender of his faith to a beloved child of God. If you actually want to read about the incident, it's in Acts, but we're going to read about kind of the aftermath of this. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to his friends, and they lived in the town of Ephesus. It goes like this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, these words are beautiful. They're just beautiful words. It's beautiful literature. But we can't leave it there, right? Because that's a hard piece of scripture to wrap your mind around. And if we want to get firmly planted in our identity as loved, beloved sons and daughters of God, we have to be able to get this into our heart and into our mind. So I've been sitting with this little chunk of scripture for the last couple of weeks, and this is my Carla Chestnut paraphrase mixed with some other translations and interpretations. So this is in the Bible. This is just what I'm telling you. I think it goes like this. Whatever reality is like around God, whatever that reality is like, Whatever the setting in which God exists, in that setting, very early in his plan, God looked at us and he knew us 
Even before the earth began to spin on its axis, he chose to look at us and see us as blameless and holy. Before anyone ever lived, before anyone had a chance to earn that blessing or that status as holy. And it's just because of God's great loving nature that he decided that we would become his adopted sons and daughters through Jesus. Little caveat here, as we go through the book of Ephesians, I want you to think of the lens of identity as like uh, 3D glasses. So the blue side is the lens of your identity, who you are. But I want the red lens to be, what about the identity of everyone around you? Everyone you'll ever meet and everyone you haven't met, because it's this we, right? That we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. So why? Why did God decide to see us this way? And the text just says it's in accordance with his pleasure and will. So what does that mean? And I like this, because he took great pleasure in his plan for us. It pleased him that we would be the focus of his love, that we would be made whole and holy by his love, adopting us into his family. Now, I think it's really interesting that people read these few verses in Ephesians, and do you know where they stop? They almost always get hung up on predestined. And they start to think of this event as kind of a sorting event. Not like sword, but like sorting out. Almost like God has become the sorting hat in Harry Potter. And, <laughs> exactly. And he's just saying, uh, you're going to be saved. You're not going to be saved. You're going to be in Slytherin. You're going to be in Gryffindor. Or maybe they start to think that God is a little bit like Heidi Klum in Project Runway. And he's just deciding who's in and who's out before we even get a chance to sew a garment. But I want us to entertain this idea just for a minute. What if it's not about sorting at all? What if it's about the character of God? Just simply, this is who God is. God, who is overflowing with love, decided to look through the lens of Jesus and see each one of us as holy and blameless. What if that's just the way God is? Now, if this is true, and I believe it is, then it's our job to claim this identity. We have to claim it. But this is really, really hard to do. And we fail to do it a lot of the time. Instead of claiming the truth, we exchange the truth for a lie. And the lies are everywhere, and they come at us really fast. So what are some of the lies? Well, if it's true that our identity is dearly loved children of the Most High God, then the lies, I think, are this. They are... I'm not a dearly loved child of God. I am what I have. I am what I do. And I am what people think about me. So think about that in your life for a little bit. These can be good things, right? The good things that we have, like family and health and purpose and joy. And they can be bad things or things that tear us away from our true identity. So I just want to tell you a few stories about these lies at work. And I hope that you can find a little, like, find yourself in them or recognize yourself because I think it's important that we learn to recognize the lies when they come flying at us. So the first story is a really ancient one, and it happens in Genesis, and it's like this. So the very first son and daughter, the very first son and daughter that the perfect parent God ever created exchanged the truth of who they really are for a lie, and it happened like this. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, and try to imagine this. They are so comfortable in the garden, which is paradise. They're so comfortable in their own skin that they're naked, and, they're, and it doesn't bother them at all. They're not ashamed. That's how, how just 
rock solid they are in their identity. And everything is as it should be. All the relationships are right. It's perfect. It's paradise. But then the liar takes the form of a serpent. And this is what he does. He tells Eve, if you take this fruit and you eat it, it will give you what you need to be like God. And Eve looks at the fruit, and it looks really good. It's beautiful to look at. And it looks like it would be delicious to eat. But she turns to the serpent, and she says, you know what? God just said one thing. He said, you can eat anything in the garden. The garden is yours. I just don't want you to eat from this tree. And the serpent says, Eve, that's because he knows. He knows that when you eat it, you'll become like God. And Adam and Eve bite literally on that lie. And they take the fruit, and they eat it, and they exchange the truth of who they are for the lie. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious, and you guys have done a lot of literary analysis, but let's look a little bit at how these lies play out. You are what you have. Look at what the serpent says. The serpent is, not ju- is, is crafty and evil. And he says, Eve, you need this fruit. You really need this fruit, because you know what? God is holding out on you. God doesn't really have your best interest in heart. If you eat this fruit, you will have knowledge. If you possess it, you will be like God. Eve, you are what you have, and you need this fruit. And then he says, you are what you do. The serpent says, Eve, you need this fruit, and if you do, if you eat it, you will gain the knowledge you need. Do it, Eve. Don't worry about what God says. And then this one's trickier, the what others say about us. We are what others say about us. Listen to what the serpent does. He says, Eve, you can't trust God. Listen to me. I know the truth about you. All you need, all you have to do is eat this fruit. If you eat it, anyone who sees you will say you are like God. That serpent is tricky. And you guys know, I don't know, how many of you, like, did your mom or dad ever teach you that saying sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you? That's just a lie. It's just absolutely a lie. You shouldn't tell your kids that. Because we all know that what people say about us hurts. It has incredible amounts of power. So Adam and Eve take and they eat and they exchange the truth of who they are for a bunch of lies. So that's story number one. Story number two is this. It's, it's a little bit sillier and it's a little bit, sne- uh, I think, a little bit sneakier. So whew, it's hot up here. Okay. When I was in high school in the 80s, I got some Christmas money and I bought a Columbia ski jacket. It was hot pink and like royal blue. It was very cool. And Columbia had just come out as a brand, and it was like the nicest thing you could ever buy. And I felt really good in that jacket, and I went skiing, and I left the tags on my jacket for a really long time. And the jacket made me feel good. It just did, and I think you guys know what I'm talking about. It made me feel like I belonged. It made me feel like I wasn't an outsider in the group of people who had nice things. And the weird thing about this was I didn't expect this to happen, when I got the jacket, I didn't even know that it was a good thing. So this, the sneakiness of what we have, like having an impact on our identity is really interesting. And then I was 40-ish, and I got a North Face jacket. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing it today. <laughs> and I love this jacket, and it cost a lot of money, and I had to do a lot of justifying whether I would buy this jacket. But you know what? Everywhere I go in this jacket, I kind of feel like I fit in. You know, you can kind of go anywhere dressed like this. And it's sneaky. But I feel good when I wear this. I feel like I belong. I don't worry so much about myself. 
And this is kind of an embar embarrassing thing for us to admit. But it even kind of plays into what people think about us. It's like, okay, she likes nice things. She's willing to spend money for nice things. And I know that you guys understand what I'm talking about. My husband likes nice stereo equipment. And uh, what else? What are some other things that you, that you just want the quality because of how it makes you feel? Anybody got anything? Cars. Cars. Yep. Absolutely. Cameras. iPhone. Oh, yeah. All the electronics, right? Holy buckets. Uh, but then something happened to me. Are you guys aware of this? Something happened to me. Uh, Patagonia. <laughs> so here I am, standing up here in my North Face jacket. But Patagonia happened, and, and you know, this is kind of silly, but here I am. Now I'm just kind of a 45-year-old mom wearing a jacket that I think is kind of neat. Yeah, it was a good jacket. And this happens really fast, and, it, and things turn around really quickly. Uh, what was so good yesterday is just kind of okay today, right? It doesn't have the promise. I mean, I'm taking this a little too far because this jacket doesn't mean that much to me, but it doesn't hold the promise that it held. It doesn't do for me what it did before. All of a sudden, it's just kind of a good, sturdy, practical jacket that I'm wearing up here. <laughs> and that's probably exactly the role this jacket should play in my life, right? Now, I want to be really super, super clear about something. There is absolutely nothing wrong about owning high-quality items. There just isn't. There's nothing wrong with it. And uh, I even think it makes some sense to own fewer things and a little bit nicer things. But the problem happens when it starts to have some kind of hold on who you are, on where you get your value, on how you feel okay about being in certain places with certain people. And maybe you think, okay, I'm okay here. People just like, maybe I just blend in. I don't stand out. I'm just like everybody else. That's when the product is sneaky and it starts to creep into our identity. The third story is about volleyball. And this happened quite a while ago. And my husband and I forced, forced is strong. Is it strong? No. Ellie's in the back of the room and we forced her to go out for volleyball when she was a sophomore in high school. And we just thought it would be good for her to be on a team and have the whole team experience, you know, in high school and stuff like that. And if you grew up in a town like Cedar Falls, you know that, like, people take volleyball and soccer and basketball and football really, really seriously. It's like when these people get their kids together when they're babies and decide on their club team. <laughs> it's almost like arranged marriages in other, com in other countries. I'm serious. This stuff is, is crazy. So our daughter wasn't in a club, and she was a fine volleyball player. And a cool thing happened. She got on this team, and she didn't play very often, but there was another friend that didn't play very often, and I think they wrote on the back of their shirts, one of them had bench and the other had warmer on the back of their shirts. So, you know, her identity was, she was doing okay. But once in a while, once in a while, she would see some action in the game, and she would stand at the, at the line, and she would be ready to serve, and I would start praying. I would start praying, God, will you just let her just like serve an ace and we just let people in the stands say yeah see she can play she shouldn't be a bench warmer and just let her have a really good game just let her have a really good service set and then I had to stop because I was beginning to learn that okay this is not the identity that I have you know my worth as a parent or as a mom 
has nothing to do with how my kid plays volleyball. And I certainly don't want my kids to think that their worth or their value comes from how they perform in a volleyball game. So I had to change my prayer. And it sounded something like this. God, will you just help her know that she's loved, that she is loved because she's your daughter and because she's my daughter, and that nothing she does, whether she has a serve of her life or she, it does, the ball doesn't make it over the net, will you just let her know, will you just let her know that she's loved? And I prayed that prayer, and after I did it, I prayed, would you just help her have six service aces in a row? just because she can, just because she's your daughter and she's got some volleyball skills. Uh, but seriously, I know that you guys relate to this because I know the pressures that you guys have faced in sports, all the evaluation you face in academics, in the arts, in music, in you know whatever it is you try to do. And I know that parents get wrapped up in that identity and that's a ridiculous amount of pressure. So it's just good for us to stop and think about this and say, how can I hold on to my identity as just a dearly loved child of the Most High God? So over break, I was uh, reading Ephesians and I was watching The Wire and it's an HBO series, and it's amazing. So I'm reading Ephesians, I'm watching The Wire, and did you guys know that The Wire is all about identity? That's the whole thing about the whole show. It's all about identity. Who are people gonna be? Who are the cops gonna be? Where are they gonna get their identity? Who are people in the community gonna be? Where are they gonna get their identity? So I'm reading Ephesians, and I read this part where uh, a little bit later on, Paul's praying for his friends, and he prays this. He says, God, I pray that you, my friends, being rooted and established in love will, have, will be able to grasp how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God. And then I watched this Wire episode and this guy is coming out of prison. He's been in prison for 14 years and he's coming back into the community and he has to decide what his identity is gonna be. Is he gonna go back to the life that he had before or is he gonna embrace a new identity as a blesser of his community? So he decides to be a blesser of his community and he starts this boxing club and he's got all these kids from the street and one of the kids is boxing. This is going to get embarrassing for my kids for a minute, so I'm sorry. But the kid's boxing and he's boxing, boxing, and he's just getting like pushed all over the ring because he's standing like this and he's getting pushed around and he's getting beat up and the guy stops him and he's like, all right, this is what you have to do. You have to set your feet like this and you have to bend your knees and you have to get your hands up. And I started thinking immediately of, oh man, he needs to be rooted and established in love. Because when we're rooted and established in love and we're standing there, we've got our hands up, then we're able to take the lies as they come at us and we're able to block it. Maybe we're even to give them a few punches as we go. So I am not gonna stand up here and give you uh, three easy steps that will help you to get a hold on your identity as a truly loved child. And I'm not going to tell you what it looks like to live a life out of that identity, but I'll give you a hint. It's why we do basic every week. It's why we meet here in Lang Hall. It's why we do life groups. It's why we invite you to uh, find a church in this community where you can be a part of the body of Christ in worship. It's why we're going to try and uh, read the Bible where, where sometimes the Bible's beautiful words, but it's hard for us to wrap our mind around. That's why we do this every week, so that we can learn to live out of our core identity 
as dearly loved children of God. So take a risk. Uh, maybe try a life group. Claire, I'm giving you the free easy stuff. Um, that's why we do this, you know, because this is hard and the lies are going to keep coming at you. And if you're in the middle of that right now, talk to one of us or talk to one of your friends about uh, if they've experienced that and what they've done. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to pray the words that Paul prayed for his friends because they're the words that we need. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.